And we're off. That probably came in so heavy right there. <laughs> hey, neighbor, 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 neighbor. Oh, aggressive out the gates. How are you? I'm good. I'm, uh, I've been burning the candle at both ends, honestly. That little uh, running around like crazy, huh? It is. It's just, yeah, there's a lot going on. It's hard to be the pastor of two parishes. I'm not going to lie. I would imagine. Yeah, it's a challenge. There's things in life that I would <clears throat> want to sub in on, and that's not it. That's not it. <laughs> that's, that is not in my bucket list of things to do. Are there things in my life you would want to sub in on? <sighs> I wish I could learn, or I wish I could get there faster to your holy hour, your ability to do the holy hour. Mm. I also that don't, didn't go fast. Though. That took me years to get to. Oh, that's that's one reassuring, but two, not as fast as I had hoped. Uh, and the other one I would not want is your desire to read as much as you do. Oh, <laughs> I don't think that's ever going to happen. I'm sticking to audio books, and I'm okay with that. Audiobooks. I've come to grips with that. I just self awareness, and I just know it's it's just not there. Maybe I could apply for a job reading audiobooks. For that would be it. My voice isn't strong enough, though. I feel like, well... I have like a weak sauce Maybe voice. they can fix that. But I, uh, I feel like you'd be really good on like... You wouldn't mess up. I would need multiple takes. I just feel like I don't have the confidence, especially when it comes to reading out loud. And I also don't comprehend well. I, I need multiple things happening at once. And I just comprehend so much more in the uh, audiobook version. Yep. Understood. Um, give a shout. It's, it's good to have you back. We had Father Sean last week. That was fun. Yep. And He's a good priest. He we'll is. We'll keep him. He's a good man. We'll keep him. Um, but it's good to have you back. Do you have a shout out for us? Um, do I have a shout out? I think uh, I, I want to acknowledge Kate Duker sending an email her and her husband are parishioners at Lords, and I've been out to their house a couple times, uh, hang with them and some of their friends. Uh, so want to give her a shout out. We're not, I don't think we're going to get to her question today, but we want to at some point. Also, I will say yesterday I swung by Amazing Parish. Uh, it was just good to see everybody over there. Yeah. And um, Alan Badia is friends with Kate. He and his wife, Kelsey. And um, shout out to the Badias. It was just great to see Alan yesterday. It's not Matt Rudolph, but I see Matt more than I tend to see those other guys. And I love Matt. Uh, but it was great to see all the folks at Amazing Parish. Amanda was there. Um, so all, just all the folks at Amazing Parish. The crew. Yeah. The crew. You? Uh, you made me think of that. I actually wasn't going to say this, but I'll, I'll go Chris Stefanik. Um, I did a recording with him on Monday. Oh, yeah, that's right. At the AI. Hence why you made me think of well, that. Which you didn't Amazing know you Parish. were going to be on video. I it, the whole thing really they did makeup and stuff. Yeah. That was a first for me. Yeah, it's a little bit different from your normal makeup. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's it's only on the weekends. Yeah. Um yeah, it was so fun. And he, you know, he's just so good at just kind of rolling with it and and kind of um spearheading it. So that was a lot of fun. And then what you had talked about him the other day was Bob Martin and his Bob biking. And Amy. Him and I, so we rode this morning. I didn't tell you this. Oh, you did on Zwift? I lost. Really? I lost. Wow. 
he we were texting and he he blew past me as i was like head down kind of riding him oh wow and we it was right as we were doing an ascent didn't catch him really so i'll tell you what bob next time i'm gonna come over and unplug your bike i was trying so hard i was like can't and you know me now. Now it's game on. I'm going to like drink extra right. coffee that morning. Yeah, and... you, have, you have motivation for that stuff. I hate losing. Yeah. Especially on physical things. I um, want to be that way. Yeah. I just feel like I'm losing. So I am losing the battle against the priest bod right now. And I just, I'm just losing. I'm like, I've got to... Get back in the game and fight against the priest bod. Well, yeah, I mean, again, you have just have so much going on. It's just been crazy lately. Yeah. And so I would make a couple of prayer requests. Um, one would be, so uh, some of you have been following the news, Father James Jackson, his trial is ongoing in, uh, I think it's Rhode Island. Oh, we've never and, circled back on that. Yeah, there's, there hasn't been a lot of, there's some new information yesterday that the state dropped charges against him. Mm. but apparently it was only a procedural move so that the federal charges can move forward. Ooh. So, um, so I think that there's always a double prayer with this is that this could be another topic. Some point is that when people who you love and look up to when they're accused of something, how do we respond? And, you know, I think, uh, it's easy to be very defensive of people we love. And I hope that father Jackson's innocent because as I've said before on this podcast, I'm I'm not an advocate of people returning to the traditional Latin mass in our time. I don't, I think it's a mistake. Uh, but I do think father Jackson is a, he was always the best representative of that community in my experience. And so I certainly hope the accusations against him are false. Uh, but I think we also, you know, we got to say it. It's like, if they are true and regardless, anyone who's a victim of that kind of stuff, it's really ugly stuff. Yeah. And so we pray for all the victims of, of kind of that, that dark world out there. Hope that father Jackson's innocent. We hope for the best with that. Um, but we, you know, we're going to give that to God and also Pope Benedict too. Have you heard about him in the news? No. So, uh, last week, a German law firm, they reviewed the history of the archdiocese of Munich and their handling of, uh, sex abuse cases, uh, by priests. And they are, they are saying that, Pope Benedict mishandled four cases where priests weren't kind of just, it, it wasn't handled properly. There was a priest who was assigned to a parish who was under his time as Archbishop of Munich that shouldn't have been ever in a parish again. Um, oh. So there's been a little bit of controversy around that. And I think an important thing with this is um, I do think sometimes in Catholicism, we have created an impossible standard yep. and these are bigger issues, right? Like these are not small things. We're talking about big things here. And with Pope Benedict, if it's true that he mishandled those cases, uh, that's pretty, some, that's some pretty serious stuff at the same time. Um, there is a historical context to such things. And I wasn't, you know, of age, I think it was in like the early nineties when they're alleging this kind of stuff happened. Maybe it's even the eighties, but, uh, during that time, and we, we have to be careful. We don't make excuses for things that were clearly wrong, but there is a historical context. So at the time, generally speaking, psychologists were telling people that priests who had done really, really bad things 
that they could be healed and they'd be fine to be put back in churches. And that was coming from secular psychologists. And so while we can look back and say, this still isn't okay, still shouldn't have happened. Um, there is a context. And lastly, I could talk about this forever, as everyone knows. The last thing I would just say is, I'm just, I'm saddened by this news. I hope again that Pope Benedict is in some way vindicated because you all know how much I look up to him. But I do think regardless, even when we see someone has made a moral failing, we can still look at their work in other areas and say, wow, they were amazing here. They, they screwed up in this part, but they're amazing in other ways. I think that's something that, um, again, <laughs> here we go. See, if we actually get to our topic, but right. that's something I've, all, I've questioned and, and really tried <sighs> to like wrap my head around is, um, one forgiveness and, yeah. and how do you obviously not right. And there's, um, consequences for our actions, yeah. but then at the same time, it's really easy to play Monday morning quarterback yeah. and just assess somebody. And you mentioned like the context. It's kind of like when um, I've just kind of noticed like people you look up to and you ask for like life advice and things that they've gone through. But there's the reality of all of our lives are so different. So it's like, oh, should I take a job at, should I go to this college? And they're like, yep, that's it. Like you should totally do it. We're on the same path. But it's like, you don't understand someone's childhood upbringing, what's causing them to like react in certain ways. And right. I, again, not by no means trying to justify any of that stuff, but having empathy for someone. And instead of just accusations and um, all of a sudden concluding that they are a certain way, yeah, it's like trying to find the empathy in it. But at the same time, like, especially the more personal it is, how you instantly, it's really hard to get past and, and get to a point of forgiveness. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. And I do, I mean, I think in the modern church, you know, and again, in Orthodox circles within the modern church, I think that we sometimes, people we look up to, we treat them as if they're not sinners. Yeah. And again, so it's, I, I want to be clear about this with Pope Benedict and with Father Jackson. We're not, we're, these are serious issues that we're talking about sexual crimes. And those are not that Pope Benedict, no one's alleging that he committed an actual crime, except that he, mismanaged priests who had committed sexual crimes. But that's a serious issue. That's, that's not a small thing. So I'm not trying to downplay that, but I just, just a separate point that I think is connected though, is there's this tremendous pressure sometimes in the church to whitewash our externals. And I think what happens is we forget we're sinners. Yep. And then when somebody falls and they, they do something that's, clearly wrong. We're just devastated. Yep. And maybe that's right, but, but maybe it, I just think we're a little bit too far. We've created this expectation sometimes that we have, we have this glossy, perfect Instagram model world. And we do that morally within the church where we just think priests have never had a lustful thought and um, they've never been judgmental or said a swear word. Yes, they have. And if, and honestly, like a, like a priest who's never said a swear word, I usually find those guys kind of weird. <laughs> Not that cussing is the, you know, a good thing or kind of the mark of normality in life. It's not. But my, my point is just that we can focus on the wrong things sometimes. Uh, and we do this, we do it that way, I think, in the church. But then also 
in secular society, there's a parallel where everyone is like physically, they're just perfect. Yeah. Right. The Instagram, the Facebook magazine culture, internet culture, everyone looks perfect, you know, filters. Yeah. And then everybody's really actually broken on the inside. Yep. And when, and when their brokenness is revealed, there is no mercy. Their life is over. Um, and that's just, I just think that's an, I don't even know all the answers to that, but I just think that's an interesting dynamic that I do think is at play in the world in our time. Well, I think two things to that first is, um, especially right now with such a mental health crisis mm-hmm. that acknowledging the fact that no one is perfect, right. And being more open about when you do fall, you know, obviously cancel culture and all that kind of stuff, but creating more of a sense of like, we are not perfect. And being able to learn from those. Yeah. Like I always think like a lot of this happens, especially in a world today where media, you will find out something within three seconds of something happening. But if you had a camera following you 24 seven, and it's one thing to do something and then go to confessional and ask for forgiveness and it's super private, but then two minutes later you get on Twitter and you're yep. judging somebody for their sin. Cause it is out. That's been aired out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then do you find, I, I kind of find it interesting that it's like when something like this happens, the secular world will point and justify. This is what's, this is why I'm not Catholic. And they instantly kind of point to, um, the sins within the church. Right. But then on the flip side, when something happens in the secular world, it instantly goes to, well, they don't have Christ, therefore they're lost. Mm. Like, I, I kind of feel like that happens like blanket statements yeah, um, both ways. <clears throat> yeah, I think that's probably right. And all of us are, you know, sinners. We're born into this um, fallen world, but it's, uh, it's just an interesting dynamic. Um, that goes both ways. Yeah, I think you're right. And I, and I think that should bring us back to the good news of the gospel. Yeah, that's the right. The good news of the gospel is not that you're perfect. It's not. It's not the good news. And I think that the good news of the gospel is that God loves broken people and he redeems them. And there's just this insane pressure sometimes in Christianity to look a certain way, to speak a certain way, yep. to not be vulnerable about your own wounds and sins and brokenness. And um, I think as Christians, we're called somehow to be prudently wise about this. There's a, the other extreme, there's, there's something in kind of priestly jargon where they talk about the wounded healer, um, which is something that got pushed too far where it's like, instead of saying, Hey, I'm perfect. And let me just, virtue signal and show you, let me fold my hands perfectly all the time. And I've never said a swear word and I have all the right things to say. And there's this kind of veneer that's external. The opposite extreme is this kind of wallowing in your brokenness thing. Yeah. And that was associated. I think Henry Nowen was kind of a part of that. Um, but the thinker I think of the most with that and there's, but there's something compelling. So there was a, a former priest, a guy named Brennan Manning, and he influenced Rich Mullins in a huge way. He was a very popular evangelical writer in like the 80s and 90s. But Brendan Manning wrote, uh, he wrote a book that I love and hate all at once. It's called The Ragamuffin Gospel. 
Have you read okay. that? I have no. Uh, but when I first became um, Christian and started going to Red Rocks, that mm-hmm. was uh, somebody instantly, Judd, who I've mentioned on the podcast before, he gave that to me. Um, and it was one of the first books that I yeah. well, never read, but I was given uh, becoming a Christian. Yeah. So I both love and hate that book. Because part of it is really, really touches on what the gospel is. Part of it really touches on, hey, the good news is not that you have nailed all the virtues and that you have got your life together. The good news is that Jesus knows you're broken and the gospel is for ragamuffins. It's for the men and women who wear kind of torn up clothes and who uh, don't say the right things and who have sins and who have brokenness and don't seem to be able to overcome them. And the good news is for them. Yeah. And you read it and it's like, it just fills you with hope. Yep. And Brendan Manning, so he was a Catholic priest. Uh, he was an alcoholic and he was really unhealthy. And he left the priesthood and left the church. Um, and he, he would say that he refound the gospel outside of the Catholic church. And it's kind of funny because I actually understand what he means by that. Now, I think along the way, I think he had some human brokenness. This is my own read. And it was, it was tied up to his experience of the church where I felt like, you know, I have a lot of hope for him. I think God did some amazing stuff. I think he also then imbibed uh, some real problematic kind of ideas about Christianity. And so anyway, back to the original point is that on one level, you have this, this false kind of frontal where I'm perfect and I need to be perfect and I need to be able to say all the right things and I need to have a perfect smile. And then we're shocked when people aren't really that way. Yep. Brendan Manning kind of went the opposite direction where it was almost like celebrating brokenness. And that's not right either. Um, God wants to move us into wholeness yep. and health and joy, the joy of the, of the gospel, the joy of relationship with him. But it's weird the way that we can, I think, I think Brendan Manning has a helpful caveat that while we're on that way there, we're on our way to goodness and healing and virtue and these things, that while we're on the way, sometimes we twist what perfection means and we turn it into this external thing and there's just all this pressure. Like a simple example that's not a sinful thing would be, I don't know if you've ever felt this, but when you're around a group of people and you don't really know how to pray yet. Yeah, story of my life. Right, mine too, it's everybody. But I remember like when I was a focused missionary, you go to mass or we were trying to learn how to pray silently. And I didn't know how to do it yet. And I wasn't comfortable yet, but you don't want to be the first one to get up and leave. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And so after mass, let's say it's an easy example. In my days as a focused missionary, you know, everyone's kneeling and I've prayed silently for, let's say a minute. And I'm kind of done. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, Jesus, thank you. I really do love you. Thank you for the Eucharist. I'm trying to be quiet and to encounter him but nobody's moving. And in a, and so there's nothing wrong with staying there. And you wait, you look around and everyone's like squinted eyes closed, but like squinted eyes, like super intense. Exactly. And you're over here, like thinking of like random things. And probably what's happening is everybody's doing the same thing. hundred percent. Yep. But, but in a subtle way, what begins to happen is Christianity becomes about that. And no one would ever say it. 
no one would ever say this is really important if that you're there for a long time making a prayer of Thanksgiving, but our actions are greater teachers than our words. And we create this culture sometimes of these kind of externals. So it's kind of like the, uh, the saying it was, it was very common in football, but don't talk about it, be about it. Yeah. And there was another one we had in our locker room. Coach Barnett put up, um, it was right as you walked out to the field um, at CU. Yep. Right above the doors. From the, from the Dow Ward Center. Yeah, the old, yeah. The old one. Yeah. Um, now it enters, that you enter the stadium on like the opposite side of that road. Yeah, um, but in, when it was underneath um, the main Dow Ward, it said, uh, what you do, I'll never forget this. I loved it. It was what you do speaks so loudly. I cannot hear what you say. Mm. And, um, I, that always like struck me because it's like people yeah. will talk a big game and especially it's making me think of last week with father Sean and the, the dynamics of on one side, it's just like, be a good person. But then there's also like the five pillars or, um, yeah, the precepts of the church that, yeah. um, that all I listened. <laughs> you I did. told Patrick, but I, our, for our studio audience, our internet audience, I did listen. That's right. And you listened to Julia's one, which caught, caught me off guard. But um, I'm going to make a note of that. Uh, is sometimes I feel that um, even within the church here, just anywhere, right? is it's a lot of like checking the box yet. So for example, in, uh, last weekend we went to church. Steph and I, um, and we get there and this lady is, we're going to go, and it wasn't here. We were up North. Um, as we're about to go sit down, Steph, um, we had the baby and we sat on one side and then someone sat like right in front of us. You could tell they were like visibly mad that we <laughs> kind of sat there. So Steph moved down and then they gave to like, kind of get this separation sure. a little bit. I don't want to sit right behind somebody. Sure. These are the unspoken rules. That's right. You're like, we're trying to zigzag and, you know, I want to see and all the above. And they were, they could not have been, she could not have been more rude. And then, she, so we move completely. We go to another side and then she ends up being the, uh, offertory person. Like the usher. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, great. So you're representing like the church yet. We walked in and you're a total beep, you know, like I was like, that's all too often what I, not all too often, but you do feel that sometimes of like, great, you volunteered in a certain way, yet you're acting totally different. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think a lifelong thing is always to come back. What's the center of Christianity? Where, how do we come back to the center point? <clears throat> and there's, there's, and you can touch the center from different angles, but we get in trouble when we're fo fixated. The, 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 the externals that Protestantism pushed this too far, where it would say, yeah, you know, Catholicism is all externals. It's the rosary, it's mass. And what God wants to know is, do yeah. you love him? And as long as you love him, that's all that matters. Well, th the way the church would say it is, if you get the heart, it's going to touch everything else. But you can't, but to say that you can have the heart and not have that affect other things, like one of my biggest examples of this is when you meet uh, some of our Protestant brothers and sisters who don't believe in the Sunday obligation. And I just don't, they're really missing something there. They're really wrong about that one. Yeah. And what they're, 
what happens is Christianity is reduced to my feelings about God. That's right. Love creates love. Love creates responsibility. It creates obligation. It it makes you bend your knee. It makes you submit to something. And when you love someone, you surrender your life. Um, so we we've got to come back to the center in a way that the externals have their place. They're they're important. In fact, they just have they just have to be in their proper proportion and place. Interesting. I also want, real quick, want to take a step back. Like that was a perfect example. I'm going to critique myself here because I'm trying to focus on it. But I totally threw judgment at this lady. This just hit me like right sure. as I right as I stop, stopped talking. Threw judgment at her. And then going back to the original point of like, I don't know her context. Like she could have had something horrific happen walking into church. Sure. And, and I don't know her story. Sure. And so I should have had empathy for her and like loved on her more than hated. And then therefore now I'm in a bad mood at church. Right. <laughs> um, so it's so easy, but like that all too often, it's really hard to be, especially be optimistic uh, compared to pessimistic and all that stuff. Like it requires a big shift. Yeah. Yeah. And we've got, I think, I think the way it happens is when we actually touch Jesus himself. Right. And when, and I know when I did, not just because there's things that are true in Christianity. So, so sorry to say, to quote him so often, but Balthazar, he talks about how if something, if we know something is true, it, it no longer compels us in our time to be to obedience. And he, and his argument, this is from volume one of glory of the Lord is that in prior ages, when, when something was true, it would have this like gravitational pull that you just knew you had to, to do it. And Balthazar says that we've kind of lost that because we've lost beauty. And so he, he says, this is a, uh, not a direct quote, but a summation. Balthazar says, when the truth is beautiful, we desire to be good. And I know this in my faith. So there are things in, that I know in my, in the faith and just in my life where I know I should behave a certain way. I know that that's true, but I just don't care. Yeah. Right. It doesn't move my heart. I know that I should floss more than I do. <laughs> I know that's true. Don't really care. Yeah. It's you not know? important to you. Yeah. And it doesn't, it doesn't touch you at the core of your being. And so the, the faith, Christianity dies when it no longer touches the heart. And it becomes just this pile of you ought to do this. Yep. You ought to do that. You know, the rules. And random, and random facts. Mary's a virgin. Who gives a you know what? Yeah. Like, it, and it, but what, what, with that woman at this church, and who knows what was happening with her that day, you're right. That's important for us that we can kind of step back and say, I can't control other people, but I'm going to assume the best and I'm going to be joyful to yep. the best of my ability. That's awesome. Uh, but when Christianity comes alive is when we touch something that's so powerfully beautiful that it brings us joy and renewal and peace. And I think this, I don't even know how we got on this. I don't even know what we're talking about anymore, but somehow we've got, you've got to do that as a Christian, as a Catholic. Yep. You've got to have something that draws you back to the center. Baldazar, again, one more book. He has a book called heart of the world. 
And he talks about that what, that what reigns over all the universe is the heart of God. And he uses the analogy of us being like blood in a body. And he says, what happens in our life is that the heart sends us out. All right. So the heart pumps and it sends the blood away from the heart out into the various parts of the body. Yep. And he means that really as evangelization, but also sometimes in our Christian life, we grow a little stale. Yep. And you do the things that are commanded because they're from God and we're obedient to that. But sometimes it's just lifeless. You're just doing it because you know, you know you're supposed to, but your heart's not in it. It doesn't yep. bring you life. It doesn't bring you joy. Maybe it's your, you had a really rough week, but you're an usher. So you're going to go pick up the collection. Yep. You know, I have plenty of things in my life like that. And there's times where you just got to hang on. But what Balthazar says is that if we're really living the Christian life, when the heart pumps us out to the extremities of the body, uh, it's only to bring us back to the heart, right? It's circular. Like the, the blood always has to make its way back to the heart. And he talks about how in our Christian life, when we're sent out, we don't have to be afraid because we know that we're, we're only sent out to be brought back, back to the center. And I just like that as an analogy of, yes, all the things in Christianity, uh, you know, everything from the, the practice of making a prayer of Thanksgiving after mass, doing the sign of the cross with holy water, trying to forgive your neighbor, fasting an hour before you receive the Eucharist, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Those are all good and fine, but they're not the heart. Right. And somehow I think if you're going to live the Christian life, the heart has to draw you back to it. Cause, and I love this analogy because the, I don't know, I'm, I'm not a, uh, you know, scientist, cardiologist, cardiologist. Right. But the, the, um, blood vessels, they, they carry the oxygen, right. And they need to be brought back to be reoxygenated. Isn't that right? Yeah, yeah, that's in uh, John three. I have no idea. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I need to take a biology course. I need to go see my Ms. dad's Siegel's. at the heart doctor right now. I could call him. <laughs> yeah, ask your dad. I need to go retake my science courses in biology, but but you you begin to lose right the blood carrying oxygen to the body, but when it goes back to the heart, it's like refueled. Yeah, and I think and that's it. I just love that image for the Christian life is we've got to come back to the centerpieces. All those things, they might be true and, and right and, um, you know, all the moral issues, everything else, all the stuff we do. But at the heart, it's like, you got to touch Jesus and you've got you've to touch him in a way that says, oh yeah, I feel like a new creation again. And yes, the gospel is good news. Yep. And that's a Brandon Manning in that book, The Ragamuffin Gospel. There's parts of that book. I should have brought it. I didn't know we were going to talk about it. I should have brought it over here, but there's parts of that book that are completely heretical, like Got total it. straight heresy. Yeah. But there's parts of it that are so beautiful that are just like, Hey, you know what? Like when you just fell in a huge puddle of mud and you feel gross and disgusting, the good news of the gospel is that God loves you there anyways. And he's like, he's there to kind of pick you up and give you a new set of clothes and wash you off. And, uh, he doesn't care that you fell in the mud. Right. And it's, there's something really encouraging about that. So, okay. So here's a, uh, I want to circle back on something that we talked about off the recording. Yes. Not, not today. 
Was it about my flossing habits? Shit, that's right. Yeah. I've noticed that. That was actually on the recording. Your floss thing has never decreased. Um, (laughs) That's uh, not true. So shout out Ed Likovich. I hope he has listened all the way to this part. But him and I were talking the other day and he brought up a a question that... um, and when we're talking about going out there and living kind of the extremities, right? And, and yeah. your, your heart analogy, in my, I guess that begs the question of like, how far is the extremities? And where do you mm. start to experience that, um, the beauty in it? And circling back to the podcast I did with Julia. And in the moment, when you brought this up on the podcast we did after that, the following uh-huh. week, you had mentioned that you didn't necessarily agree with putting yourself more or less paraphrasing, correct me if I'm wrong, didn't agree with putting yourself in like danger from the standpoint of being at CU um, and going to, you know, why, why do that? um, Was, and so when you had said that first, it kind of, it kind of rocked me because I was like, wait a second, he listened. Uh, And so I didn't really process it, but in that analogy of the heart, that's where like I kind of question versus, and I know this by no means is disrespectful to anybody that has gone to Benedictine, Franciscan, any of that kind of stuff. Sure. But for me in my own life, my journey led through CU and a lot of stupid decisions, but then it almost led me what I feel like was a very impactful way sprinting back to the church. Um, So avoiding a place um, and I get the premise of like not putting yourself in temptation yeah. like that. But if you're in that spot, like if you're a focused missionary at CU going out there and actually then in, like for you, like when you were at CU, mm-hmm. um, and engaging and actually making an impact there is that kind of where Jesus plays. Like when I look at scripture, like he is at the, the woman at the well sure. and all that kind of stuff, but not. I don't feel like in my mind when I, when I read that, it's not at the well at Benedictine. He's at the well on Colfax sure. and Spear. Well, I think it's a both and. And so the, the danger with this, right? <clears throat> so God's law is for our good. Right. It's, and, and that's critical. It's one of the un, underlying premises here is that when we obey God's law, the whole world is better. Yep. Everything's better. It's like, so I like the way back to a book we talked about on the podcast that I read, I don't know, six months ago, the um, relentless elimination of hurry. He has a great phrase in that where he says, um, when you, when you go against the grain of the universe, you get splinters. Okay. Yep. And, and this is, this is part of the point is that sin it's really, really attractive in the moment and it's going to give you splinters. Totally. And, and what we say is we say, well, I want to be, I want to be in the places where, uh, where people are not just kind of the insular hot tub Catholics where, and I agree with that. I understand that sentiment. I just think you can be overconfident. Yeah. Sin is super attractive. It's super attractive. And the, and the culture is stronger than we think it is. So my only point with that is that God's law really actually is for our good. Yeah. And when we order society and our lives according to God's law, 
it doesn't just Chris Stefanik, our buddy, Chris, he has a great line. This is one of my favorite things I've ever heard him say is he was at a focus conference and he was like, you know, that really awkward, weird Catholic that you like, you think of like Catholics and you think of the nerdiest person you've ever met who doesn't like know how to hold a conversation and you just can't wait to get away from them. Yep. And he's like, that person isn't that way because they're Catholic. They were that way before they were Catholic. Totally, totally. And, and I think this is part of my point is we associate those things with being Catholic and it's actually the opposite. It's that if we actually live with the way that God teaches us, it doesn't lead to weirdness and awkwardness. It leads to health and joy and peace. And, and so with Julia's kind of point, again, I, we don't totally disagree with each other. I, I totally get what she's saying. All I'm saying is I'm not as strong as I like to believe I really am. Yep. And another friend of mine, Dr. Ed Forsman, Ed's, Ed's one of my favorite cynics. Him and I see things pretty similarly a lot of times. And Ed will say that he's gotten to a place in life where he's like, I'm really just kind of capable of any sin, almost any sin I'm capable of. And I'm like, you know what? Me too. Yeah. Not every sin, but most sins. Yeah. I, I am completely capable of any of them. And so we're just not as strong as we think we are. So yes, we need to go out. The heart needs to send us out, but here's, and Jesus in his life. Yes. He's with the woman at the wall, right? He's with the tax collectors and the sinners. And he's hanging out with people that are not the religious elite. Right. But the point isn't to hang out with the religious elite. The point is to hang out with God. Right. So Jesus, like, for instance, we had this thing in Mark three, before he chooses the 12 apostles, Jesus spends all night in prayer. So I think we need to also distinguish between God and then sometimes a Catholic culture that can sometimes be a little bit off. And I do think in the church, we need to be able to correct that. When the, when the culture in the church is rigid or a little bit stuffy, um, well, let's fix that. Yep. And I think the way we fix it, though, isn't by looking to the world. It's by looking at God. It's like, is God really, is God stuffy and anal? Is he, is he really like this hardcore, like rigid, moralistic God? And I'm like, well, if you read the New Testament, nope. He's, he commands morality for sure. And he's serious about it, but he's, he actually scolds the Pharisees for such a kind of attitude. Totally. So what about kind of circling back to the original point though, of, of, in that case of sin and it being attractive, um, which I wholeheartedly agree. And I, and same with Ed's point. Yeah. In life. And especially, I guess, going back to, um, and I forget the priest's name that's on trial right now by the James Jackson. Yep. And, and falling into those sins, very serious sins. And, and, but let's take a less serious one. Um, when you're living life in that kind of like, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. You're looking at ice cream in the fridge and you're like, yeah. or the freezer, oh, you're don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And then you end up doing it. Like you can't fight it. Yeah. You're toast. It's, if you're doing that, you're toast. That's right. It's game over. Just, I don't have any submit. And die. <laughs> well, like, and so I guess for the, that's a struggle for anybody. And if you're not willing to like, I think the only way out of that is if instantly in that moment, maybe not with ice cream, but when it comes to sin, if you could just call a friend, you've said that to me before. Yeah. If you're feeling that temptation, like call me. Yeah. Like I, you know, 
And being able to just kind of voice that. And that's what I love about confession of like yep. putting it out there verbally yep. diffuses the situation. Totally. I guess. It's Isaiah chapter one. That's yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> is, is especially though, it's got to be so hard. It's one thing for a lay person, but another for a priest that what are you going to do? Like, are you going to go to your parishioner who's a therapist and like try to talk about some of the things It creates this weird dynamic of on both sides, like you're sitting in the pews looking up at a priest and you're like, they're holy. They don't do anything wrong. Right. And then at the same time, like, who are you supposed to turn to other than like your fellow priests maybe, but it would be hard to open up because there is this like unwritten expectation almost, or like facade that it has to be perfect. So I feel like it's elevated in the expectations, which makes it really tough for anybody in religious life. Yeah. We've got to be real about that. We've got to be honest about what is the gospel. Yep. The gospel is not a moral code. And we talk about this a lot on this podcast, but yeah, you're right. And I think for me, the greatest remedy for sin though, so discipline is necessary and good. And I need more of it in my life as I don't know what happened to me. I used to be a disciplined guy and I feel like it all just kind of collapsed. But, uh, so that analogy with the ice cream that you used, yep. don't eat the ice cream. Imagine, so imagine a guy who's at his office and there's a woman who's flirtatious with him. Yep. He's a married man. And he's like, uh, don't cheat on your wife. Right. Don't cheat on your wife. Don't, that guy's in trouble. No question. Right. And so I love this. So, so discipline can be good in that situation, right? There's, there's a line in the sand. I think like as a priest, I have that. There's, there's times where I'm like, um, I've told, I tell the congregation of Lords, there's days of priesthood where I just want to leave. It's so hard. People's demands on you are unbelievable. Yep. Um, and just the, the, the stuff you have to deal with is crazy. And there's days where I just want to leave. And there is a line in the sand that helps me, which is I made a vow before God. And that's super helpful. Yeah. So that, that's important. But the, but the flip side that, that I want to make is in that scenario, the best thing that you could ever do, the, the guy who's not in trouble is a guy who has a really healthy relationship with his wife. Totally. Right? Yep. Uh, if you have, if, if you and your wife are in an awesome place, you have a strong relationship, even when you fight, you, you love each other. When the really attractive woman at work starts flirting with you, you're not going to do anything because you love your wife. Yep. You've got this phenomenal, and like the vow, of course, is still massively important, but you've got a great relationship with your wife. And I think, th and for me, so like in the confession, I always tell people in the confessional that I basically say the same thing to everybody because I do. <laughs> and this is what I tell them is, so this is St. Augustine. Augustine's remedy for everything is... Uh, and this is really from his, it's all over his theology, but it's predominantly in the city of God. <laughs> but St. Augustine is, his theology is that all of Christianity is about love. That's what it's about. And so his point is that, um, and I, again, I probably said this on the podcast before, so forgive me, but he says that imagine if you were growing a garden and all you ever did is pull weeds then you would miss the whole point of a garden. Yeah. But really what God in the Christian life, God doesn't want you to pull weeds. He wants to grow something in your soul. He wants to grow faith, hope, and love. Origin says that as well. 
God's a gardener. He wants to grow something inside of you. And I started gardening before our friend threw my garden out. If you're listening, you know who you are. <laughs> but, um, but I love gardening. And when you see something grow out of the ground, I, I, this must be an old man thing, but it's amazing. It's like, it's totally amazing. And so the Christian life, what I'm saying is the best defense is a good offense. When you have a great relationship with God, things in the world are less tempting. Yeah. When you find joy in your relationship with God and you find peace with him and meaning, and you know, your life that you know, that you're loved, you know, that mercy covers you before and behind you. The temptations of the world just aren't as strong. And I think that's better than any discipline. Do you think when you talk about like um, finding beauty and when you do encounter that, um, how powerful that is? Yeah. In those moments, I feel like, um, and, and it was making me think of the bike accident yeah. and hence my new tattoo and all that kind of stuff. Like right. in those moments of uh, tragedy, loss, sadness, you could have a perspective of like how bad life is but it's also those are like the opportunities where you really start to like big life life changes happen like when my mom died i was like it really changed my perspective on life but i feel like sometimes when things are going good that's where i fall victim of like being complacent and not seeing the beauty and you're just kind of like life's good like i don't really need to dive harder into it how do you and you said like, um, just stick with it when you're kind of in that, in that moment, how do you really, um, when you are reaching that point of like, not noticing or loving or embracing the beauty of it, how do you dive back into it and make that conscious effort and, you know, not resorting to hoping, you know, you get (sighs) hit by a car bike riding. Yeah. How can you, um, find it quicker. So I think there's, there's a lot of different ways. There's the, like you said, there's, there's the moments you're just hanging on, right? There, there's the moments, there are going to be moments in your life. There's moments in my priesthood where I'm like, I am not thriving. I'm not loving this, but I made a vow and I'm just hanging on. Yep. And that's, there's going to be some moments like that, but how do you like push to get, yeah. How do you push to get back to the, this is my joy. Mm -hmm. How do you do that? There's a lot of ways. Your favorite reading. Uh, that for me is a very big deal, actually, in my faith. But here's why. I think it's because of a deeper reason. Is that, so, so one, one way to say it would be, all of us has a false image of God. And the false, there, there's two ways you commit the sin of idolatry. Right? Idolatry, not adultery. <laughs> but idolatry worship of a false God, you can, you can worship a completely false God. That's obvious. That's a sin. But the other thing you can do is you can worship the true God under a false image. And you can distort the image of God. Okay. Um, and I think this has a lot to do with renewing our faith. Um, the best Christians out there, so, so God's image is always in who he truly is in himself is far beyond our comprehension. It's far greater than anything we can understand. 
But what we start to do is we start to have false images of God and it happens subtly. It's not intentional. It just kind of happens. There's a great line from uh, Bride's Head Revisited, which is a great novel. And uh, I forget if Cordelia says it or Charles or who it is. But one of the characters says there's the Lady Marchmain is a very pious character in that book. She's kind of like your grandma who's like super devout and always prays the rosary. <laughs> Unlike your pastor. Um, but she, Lady Marchmain is like that kind of figure. And there's a line in the book that says, no one can really hate God. So what they do is they set up a false image of him and they hate that image. And that's why people hated my mother is what the book says. That's why people hated Lady Marchmain is because she becomes this false image of what God's like for them. Interesting. And I think it's true. So like when we think of God, if you, when you meet Christians who are moralistic, that there's, there's no good news there. There's no right. redemption. There's no like, wow, Jesus actually experienced abandonment on the cross because he, he went to that depth to love you. And when you were lost and you were the prodigal son and you were feeding pigs, right? The good news came to that place, Yep. right? You meet a certain type of Christian who's just like, all they ever do is for your moral feelings. Yep. And what we start to do is we start to put that image onto God. Right. And so, so a lot of us, right. We feel like if I have a moral failing, God's just shaking his head at me. He's so disappointed and frustrated by me. So that's what you mean by the distorted image. We start. That's to, one example yeah, of it. Yeah. 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 What do you think about that? I think it happens all too often, especially when you're in the thick of it. Mm -hmm. It's kind of that woe is me. And then it's, easier instead of accountability um i feel like it's easier to your point to change how do i say this it's less appealing in those moments of like <clears throat> a lot of things happening and you start to become upset and you're like why is life throwing all these curveballs at me and hitting me over and over again um it's easier to justify God in a certain way, then I would want to sit there and be like, okay, well, it's, you know, Romans 8, 28, this is all going to work out yeah. in the end for yeah. something bigger than myself. We're like, all right, I learned my lesson. Like, let's go. Like, I'm yeah. tired of dealing with this. Um, so I feel like at that point, you, you can easily change the image of God to fit your current circumstances. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And I think, and I think the way out of it, right. Is to come back to, to purify your image of God. Yeah. And when you like, when I realize who he really is and how do you do that? Well, I think about the story of the prodigal son. I think about Jesus on the cross. I, I read the new Testament. I go to prayer. Right. Or I, or I think about a saint who help us. The saints help us know who God really is. Great example of this. So a sports analogy. I don't know if you ever had a coach like this, but so at my high school, we were a big basketball high school and I'm, I'm going to get this guy's name wrong. I think his name was coach Stussy. I don't know if that's right, but my best friend from my childhood, Eric Schmidt, he was on the basketball team and a bunch of my friends were. And there is a, a freshman coach who was very, he was very good at like, he was successful, 
He's a total jerk. Yep. And another friend of mine from high school, a guy named Jeff Summers. Jeff Summers was going to be one of the best basketball players in Colorado. He, I mean, he would have been a competitor for the, the big basketball award for high schoolers. It's just called Mr. Basketball. And he would have been a contender for that by the time he graduated high school. He quit after his freshman year because the coach, he was like, I hate basketball. Ruined it for him. I hate it. And, but here's my example. If he would have stuck with it, I think, I don't know if, you know, whatever Jeff's path has been, but the guys who made it onto the varsity team, the coach there was one of the most successful in, in Colorado. And he was famous that guys worked their tails off for him. And he would never, ever raise his voice. But what happened was he built this family of trust and he loved his players and he was just a great coach and he invested in them. He fathered them. <clears throat> and Eric, my, my buddy, Eric Schmidt would always say, he was like, if you disappointed coach Stussy, yep, that was a thousand times worse than somebody screaming at you because you loved him so much that you just wanted to kind of, you wanted to make him proud of you. Yeah. Never let I think him that's doubt. a good image for purifying our image of God. Right. Is that when we understand God is more like that. Right. And so the, so the obedience we have to, to God is not to meant to be like that freshman coach who's just screaming at you, you know, but, but coach Stussy. And again, if somebody's going to call me and be like, you idiot, that's not his name, <laughs> totally. <laughs> whatever his name was, but he was, I know he was amazing. I got cut from the basketball team, but, uh, which you're pretty good at basketball. I'm surprised. We had a really good, good program at Chatfield. Yeah. But anyway, so when we purify our image of God, and I, th- I think we do this all the time, God either feels distant, he feels cold or harsh, boring. That was a big one for me. Priests were always boring, so I thought God has to be boring. And when our image, when we come to a place where we realize, and, and there's a thousand things you can do it. I'll say one more thing and then I'll shut up. This happened for me on the villa with companions on our vacation days. I don't know if I mentioned this to you, but Father Joe Digert, who's a priest in Colorado Springs, phenomenal priest, great guy. He brought up just an image of Jesus on the cross. And this is theologically tricky. We're not going to get into it today, but experiencing complete abandonment. complete forsakenness that he has been totally abandoned to die alone with the weight of the world's sin on him. So, so usually when I think about the cross, I just think about it in a physical way. Yeah. You know, here's, here's what it looked like. Here are the nails in the hands. Here's the crown of thorns. Here's the, the, the lance in the side. But that, when you think about it, when Jesus dies on the cross in a place where he experiences, and you can get into heresy here, God, the father never abandons Jesus, but Jesus experiences that, that sense in his humanity. Um, this is, this is how much you're loved, right? Like when you experience that Jesus entered complete darkness, the guilt of all the world, is somehow mystically, mysteriously carried by him. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? His apostles have all left him. 
Yeah. He's in agony and isolation and darkness. And so Father Joe Dyger brought that up. And that was when I touched the heart. Right. And that, that's like an example for me. We were talking about it up in the mountains. And I just, it, it's this moment of almost mysticism where I just kind of, it's almost like my soul just like kind of froze in mid sentence as we were talking about this. And there was a moment of that is so beautiful. And, and the love of God that's going through that, Jesus is going through that for me. That's why I'm a Christian. Right? Ooh, I've never thought of it that way. Um, what was coming up for me was this thought of, and I, you know, I don't want to put you in a position that, but I, I like, that would be very easy for someone and particularly me to think in that moment, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you look back on life and be like, all that I've done um, went by the wayside. Yeah. Like now here I am in my dying moments and I don't feel you. And you kind of like your, la- your life is flashing before your eyes. Are you like, how can this happen? Yeah. And at what point then does, like, does he die? And then there's like this moment of like great revelation. Then he goes down to hell and he, you know, has this whole redemption story. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I've never thought I got to like dwell on that. Like, that's a very interesting, yeah. you know, I know he says that, but I never really thought about that and how that would affect, you know, my everyday life when something happens and you're like, why, why is this happening? But in your dying moments, you're, you're feeling, um, abandoned. Yep. That's really heavy. Yeah. And there's, there's a lot to this and Jesus is God, you know? So yeah. there's. But this is some people oftentimes I find with this topic, they treat it at a surface level and they say, nope, that's false. That's true. That's false. That's true. This is very profound stuff. Yeah. I mean, this is the moment at which your, your sins were paid for. And there's lots of theories in the history of the church of how that atonement actually works. And they're complex. And I, I, I have a distaste generally for when people just stick their noses up and they're like, oh, that's stupid. Yeah. And I'm like, is it stupid? Or is that, or is someone who's probably wrong, like a way greater intellect who wrestled with this like a thousand times deeper than you ever will. Totally. Um, and we don't have to get into all the theories we want, in fact. <clears throat> but, but my point is, coming back to that analogy that Balthazar has of the heart. Yep. Somehow in your life out there as a Christian, and, and like you said it, like when I'm suffering, how does it relate to this? It has everything to do with it. Right. And we go from God being this distant God who doesn't understand what it's like to be me. And why is why is my life so hard? And why isn't he fixing things? And when you turn your mind to understanding that he went to the depth, he went to a far darker place than you will ever go. Yeah. And he chose it. That it changes the way you look at God. Gosh. Yeah. And it's something we have to come back to again and again. And I think that's that, that heart image. So all the things the church gives to us are true. Like <clears throat> when the church asks us to not go through with in vitro fertilization, that's true. We shouldn't do that. That's immoral. But, but when, when Christianity collapses is when in vitro, the teaching on in vitro fertilization is somehow not related to what happened that moment on Good Friday. 
but it is. And when we get that, when our worldview is that everything is my entire life, everything I am as a man and as a Christian is somehow tied to what happened at three o'clock on Good Friday. Oh, that's deep. Everything, right? And that's what I mean by we got to come back to the heart. Yeah. And when we do that, uh, go back to that Augustine analogy. If I'm, if I'm connected there, and when, even right now talking to you, when I'm in touch with that reality, sin just doesn't seem to have appeal to me. Yep. And it's like, it's like the husband who has a phenomenal relationship with his wife. Steph. Steph. <laughs> with her phenomenal husband. That's right. You know what I mean? And so I think, yeah, I think totally. that's, that's so much of what we're after in, in the Christian life. I don't know how that like this just popped up for me because I have not seen this in so long, but talking about the uh, abandonment made me think of, uh, I'm pretty sure it's Bruce Almighty. Maybe. Did you ever see that with uh, Jim Carrey? I think I did. And I, I don't really remember it. I want to say, I don't, yeah, I don't totally remember this, but there's a scene where he like opens up a drawer and it's all the prayer requests. Like okay. kind of like your desk drawer here. Sure. And it like shoots him back like a thousand feet. It's a never ending drawer. Oh, that's funny. And it's kind of one of those things where you just think like, probably it's a totally separate topic, but how can God handle all the prayers yeah, of every Christian topic. in the world? Um, but it, as you were starting to say that, like there is so much when God, you feel like you're abandoned by God. Um, yeah, and I think, I but I think this is a great moment of the faith always runs deeper. Yep. So if you've you've looked That's at a crucifixion so a million times, you have no idea how deep that mystery runs. Yeah. The there's a mystical when Jesus dies on the cross. That's the moment the church is born. Yep. And something mystical happens when that blood and water come from his side, from his heart, and. What that means, that the church was born in that moment, it means that your life as a Christian was born in that moment. And what that means is that every, whether you are a layperson, whether you're a mom and you got a bunch of kids in the car, you're a dad and you're wondering how you're going to provide for your family, yep. you're, I don't know, you're a single person wondering what God's plan is for your life. Um, whatever it is, wherever you're at, you were born your life as a Christian originated the moment that Jesus died on the cross. That's when it originated. And our life is tied to that. And everything we do, when we refuse to, to discard human life as something that's utilitarian and useful, and if it's not useful, we just discard it in abortion or in vitro fertilization or in you know, the way we don't care about the disabled and the elderly and whatever else. The reason we don't do that is because of what happened on Good Friday at three o'clock. Uh, gosh. Yeah, I was joking the other day, then we'll wrap up here, but I was joking the other day of like, you never feel like, at least you shouldn't, I guess, um, never feel like you've made it when it comes to the faith. Like every time, you know, you ask me a question, I'm like, yes, got it. And you, you start to feel like, okay, I'm starting to figure this thing out. And then there's another layer that's yeah. like never ending. And it made me think of uh, at Christmas at a little Christmas party. <laughs> and I ended up getting the uh, Catholic trivia. Like, not good on my part, but I remember when I like pulled it out and I was like starting to quiz you. 
and there was like random church, like what happened in 12 AD of in the church. And you're like, I don't know. And I was like, yes, got him. Like there's something he doesn't know. Uh, the faith is so deep. I think it's a, it, I actually really love this podcast on like, it's something I've definitely, it's easy to uh, kind of reflect on, but so hard to live life where it is this like balance between judgment and forgiveness and all that kind of stuff. So circling back, like definite prayer requests in, in both of those scenarios of, yeah, it's a, it, there's a lot of layers to that entire thing. And the reality of, I think the biggest part of what you said was, you know, sin is tempting yeah. and attractive in the moment, but trying to find that beauty in God to, Avoid it. Yeah. My last line, I promise. I know I've said that like four times. Bonaventure says this. St. Bonaventure, one of the things he always was fighting against is a Christianity that's just logical conclusions that doesn't have mysticism. Oh. And that's what we're talking about today is that to be a real Christian, every one of us, there has to be some, some level of a mystical union with Christ. Yep. Then that gives life and breath. It animates the whole of our Christian life when we have that. And Bonaventure was always critical of, of any kind of um, formulation of Christianity that ended up being just purely logical and just kind of made sense. <laughs> He's like, that's not it. It has, it, it could all make sense, but it could be a corpse and mysticism is this breath of life that's breathed into this body to make it live. Gosh, as a young guy in the church, I often like want that though. Yeah. To try to explain to my friends of like, oh, look at this long line of logic that leads yep. to a equal sign, pure fact. Yep. You know, but it is hard to explain the mysticism. It is. Oh, that was deep. Thank you for your honesty. Likewise. I think it helps. Likewise, my friend. I think it helps uh, my own life. Um, so I appreciate that. Yeah. You're right a below average you. basketball player. Um, <laughs> all right. Email us rant at lordsdenver.org. <laughs> terrible. And uh, yeah, thank you guys. I, there's been a lot. I need to get the actual details on this, but I've received um, a lot of compliments. And someone was telling me the other day, like somebody from Tennessee was a listener and they, they knew that I knew that. It's just like pretty wild to think there's actually people that listen to us rant. So thank you guys. Email us. We will eventually get to the questions um, when we don't deviate from the entire game plan leading into the episode. But all right. Thank you.